The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, 
But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. The word of God for the people of God. I remember coming to my senses slowly, like I was waking up from a dream. When I opened my eyes, all I could see was what seemed to be clear blue sky. After a few seconds, I could hear a gentle swooshing sound that lasted for four or five seconds, then paused, and then continued again, and then paused again. My body seemed to be floating. I didn't feel like I was flying, but neither did, neither did I feel like I was anchored to the ground. I felt peaceful, yet perplexed, as though I was still stuck in that middle space between sleep and wakefulness. It was the blue sky that eventually began to bother me. Why couldn't I see anything else? I could hear muffled sounds, voices in the distance, the hum of machinery somewhere in the background, but all I could see was blue. I closed my eyes for a few seconds and then opened them again, but nothing changed. Still nothing but a limitless blue expanse. When you've gotten used to seeing, it's disorienting suddenly not to see. And I imagine that when you've spent your life not seeing, seeing is its own kind of shock. Today's story in the Gospel of John is a story about blindness and sight. And if you've ever had an experience of not seeing for a time, you'll resonate even more deeply with the man we encounter in this text. In my case, it turns out I'd been involved in a skiing accident. I had a concussion, and I didn't know who I was or where I was. The ski patrol had put me in a neck brace, fastened me to a backboard, and was slowly skiing me down the mountain to the Vail Regional Hospital, where I would eventually come back to my senses. My sensory deprivation lasted only an hour or so. But John introduces us to a man who's been blind from birth. He's never seen anything until the day he meets the light of the world. We're working our way through the fourth gospel, the fourth book of the New Testament, the gospel of John. If Matthew, Mark, and Luke are pop singers, then John is the punk rocker. His gospel is unique, different. Um, among the four, it's the most 
unordinary or unorthodox. Um, if you're new to Quorum Deo and new to this series, you can see me afterwards. I'd love to give you one of these little gospel according to John study guides. It will help you journey along with us. I'm getting all kinds of flack from people who have been part of this church for a long time. They're like, I guess I don't get one of those because I'm not a new person. Correct, you don't. Um, <laughs> right? So you can reach under your seat and grab a Bible. Uh, we're on page 842 of that Bible under your seat if you don't have one with you. And to set up today's text, I want you to turn to the very last page of the Gospel of John and the very last verse of the Gospel of John. The book concludes this way. Now, there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What that tells you, in other words is that the Gospel of John is a highly edited book. Of all the things John could have said that would fill up all the books in all the libraries in all the world, he has curated a very small sample of Jesus' words and works to put in writing for us. And of these 21 precisely curated chapters, an entire chapter is given to one story about the healing of a blind man. And what that shows you, what that should clue you into, is that John is telling us something by telling us this story. This is an acted out parable. There's something worse, even, than physical blindness, and that's spiritual blindness. Jesus can make blind people see, but only if they know that they're blind. And the most famous hymn in the English language is a celebration of the good news of restored sight. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Like every good story, this story in John chapter 9 has a beginning and a middle and an ending. And so that's the outline of the sermon this morning. I hope you enjoy the amazing complexity of it. We're going to look at the beginning and then the middle, and then the end, and then the postscript, because there's a little postscript at the end. So let's begin at the beginning, John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the story begins with a theological debate over the connection between sin and suffering. This man is born blind, the disciples ask, whose who's sin is he being punished for? Now that may seem a strange question to you, but I assure you that most people throughout history would not find this question strange at all. Many religious traditions see misfortune in the present as evidence of sin or wickedness in the past. And in fact, God had told his people to make this connection. God says explicitly in Deuteronomy 28, if you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. So the disciples are asking an intelligent biblical question. It is, in fact, true that some sickness, some hardship, some of the dysfunction in our lives is a direct result of our own 
Sin and foolishness. We reap what we sow, says the book of Galatians. Our actions have consequences. But the disciples are making a mistake that all of us have made, and that is they're flipping the logic around. God had said, if you are not careful to obey my words, then the Lord will bring afflictions on you. He did not say that's the only reason you'll ever have affliction. The disciples have inverted the premise and the conclusion. They have said, if you have afflictions, then it must be because you have sinned. And Jesus says, no, 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 that logic is faulty. Verse 3, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, God is not an algorithm. God is not an artificial intelligence. God is a personal being who has works that He is doing in the world for His glory. He's bigger than our simplistic logic and our easy explanations. Jesus is in fact saying that God allowed this man to be born blind and to live life blind in preparation for this moment that's about to happen. This man's blindness is so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And that simple reality forces us to ask this question. Could it be that the suffering in your life has a purpose that is presently unclear to you? Before this moment, this man had no answer to the why questions that we all ask in suffering. Why had he been born blind? Why was this the life he'd been given to live? He didn't have any answer to those questions, and you may have no answer either, but that doesn't mean there isn't a why. I want you to remember that like this man, you and I are living in the middle of a story that's still being written that hasn't reached its conclusion. And in that story, there are many unknowns. There are many questions yet to be answered. There are many confusing realities that don't yet make sense. But Jesus shows us here that we do serve a God who has purposes and plans unknown to us until the moment that they break forth in our lives and in history. And this is one of those Moments where as Jesus steps on the scene, the glory of God is about to be displayed in a unique way in this man's life. Verse 4, Jesus goes on to say, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he washed and came back seeing. Notice the narrative frame that Jesus places around this miracle. He says, this is about day and night. This is about light and darkness. This is a moment of new creation. In the beginning, God moved upon the chaos and created light. And then he brought a whole new world into existence out of nothing. 
Likewise, Jesus is moving into the chaos and disorder of this world, bringing the light of God's new creation. Night is coming, says Jesus. He's referring to the night of the crucifixion, the night of death, the night, the darkness of the tomb. It's going to seem for a moment like darkness is winning. But then on Easter morning, the light of new creation is going to break in for good. This miracle, you see, is a little glimmer of new creation breaking in. Here is Jesus bringing healing and light and transformation as a foretaste of the new creation that he is ushering in. So that's how the story begins. Let's look now at the middle, verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. Of course it was. You knew that was coming, right? So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He can speak for himself. Thanks, mom and dad. Appreciate the backup, right? I mean, you don't think they know what happened? This is their son who's lived his whole life blind. Suddenly he sees. I guarantee the first question they ask is, what in the world happened? They already know the story, but they don't want to go on record. So they say, you know what? He's an adult. Why don't you just ask him? And verse 22 tells us the reason. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Where in your life is the fear of social consequences keeping you from doing what's right? I mean, the fear of man is a powerful thing, isn't it? These parents don't want to lose their social standing in the community. And so they keep their mouth shut. Where in your life is the fear of social consequences keeping you from doing what's right? From being courageous? I want to appeal for just a minute to those of you who are at the stage of life that this man's parents are at, 
You've raised kids maybe that are adult children now, and so you're what we call empty nesters. You're probably in your 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s. All of you in that swath of people in our church. I want to appeal to you for a minute. I want you to think about this moment in this story. Because here's the reality if you're at that stage of life. You know what's true of you? You've got the most to lose probably of anyone in this room. Like you've built a career for yourself. You've built a reputation. You've probably built some wealth. You've gotten yourself to a particular season and stage and station in life. You've kind of got the most to be threatened, the most to lose. There are other people in this room that wish they had what you have to lose or to be threatened. And you know what the temptation is in that season of life? The temptation is to to be a half-hearted disciple of Jesus. And I want to challenge you to not give in to that temptation. I want to challenge you to give your lives away for the kingdom of God. Because not only do you have the most to lose, you also have the most to give. You have the most wisdom and the most life experience the most ability to practice hospitality, the most ability to invest in the generations that are coming behind you, and the most ability to demonstrate the kind of humble discipleship to Christ that we ought to be having when we get to that stage of life for all those who are coming behind. So don't give in to that temptation to sort of just play it safe. Man, if you're in this season of life, Be all in with Jesus. Be all in as his disciple. Be all in as a disciple maker and a kingdom influencer. So here in the middle of the story, we've deduced the main conflict and we've met the main characters. It's quite clear the main conflict is going to be between the Pharisees and the blind man. The tension is building. So now we go to the end of the story. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Do you hear a question in there anywhere? Is there a question mark in that sentence? You see what's happened here, right? They're actually not interested and have never been interested in hearing this man's story, in discerning what he thinks about the Lord Jesus. What they're looking for is to confirm their priors. They've already decided what's real and what's true and what matters. And they just want this guy to agree with them that Jesus is a sinner. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. By the way, just hear the arrogance in the phrase, we know. We don't need to learn anything from Jesus. We've already decided what's true. (laughs) Verse 25, he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind... Now I see. Isn't that a powerful response? Listen to me. The most important, the most powerful thing you have to share is the story of your own experience of the grace of God. It doesn't matter if you know zero about Christian apologetics, zero about theology. If you started reading your Bible just yesterday, this guy says, look, as to like who Jesus is and the whole story, I I don't know. Here's what I know. I used to be blind. Now I see. 
Something's up. Something happened. And guess what? You have that story to tell as well. If you've met Jesus, if you've encountered the grace of God, if you have a story of how God's grace has changed you, that's the same thing you have to say no matter what room you're saying it in, no matter how intelligent or sophisticated the people are around you, you can always speak out of your own experience. And he goes on to say, oh, sorry, verse 26. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Blind man's getting a little chippy. I like it. Because realize, he's got nothing to lose. Right? Like he was a beggar. He's on the margins of society. Nothing's at stake for him. He's not really afraid or intimidated by the Pharisees. He knows, man, I was blind and now I can see. That's the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. I'm not interested in whatever little debate's going on here. Verse 28, they reviled him saying, you are his disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. As for this man, we don't know where he comes from. Verse 30, the man answered, I mean, he keeps going. Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet, he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. They don't want to hear. They don't want to think more deeply. Nor do they want to change their opinion of how this guy was blind in the first place. This shows how powerful our prior biases and prejudices can be when they're unexamined. Verse 35, Jesus heard they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, Lord? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So I want you to notice the progression, the journey of faith that this man has been on. In verse 11, he said, The man called Jesus anointed my eyes. In verse 17, he said, He is a prophet. In verse 33, he said, This man is from God. And in verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. This is what the journey of faith looks like. It starts with a man called Jesus. Such a person really did exist in time and space and history. It starts with, there was a man called Jesus. Progresses to, to the belief that Jesus is a prophet. That is, that he speaks words from God. And then to the belief that he has come from God. And then finally to worshiping him as God. I suspect that when the first Christians gathered together in Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus... This formerly blind man was likely among them. I mean, we know he's been kicked out of the synagogue. He wasn't going back there for church. We know he's become a worshiper of Jesus. It's likely, possible, probable that whenever the early church gathered, 
this man was among them. But what's interesting is that John never names him. We don't know the identity of this man who was formerly blind. And the reason we don't is because the man's identity is not the main reason John is recounting the story. And that leads us to the postscript. Verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The postscript shows you the point of the story. The point of the story is Jesus came to give sight to the blind. And there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who are aware of their spiritual blindness and those who aren't. Which kind of person are you? Spiritual blindness is a disease that affects all of us. Are you aware of your spiritual blindness? Friends, this question is crucial to our own spiritual transformation and to the kind of church we're going to be. We will either be a church full of Pharisees who think we already see everything we need to see, or we'll be a church of disciples who admit our blindness and our need for illumination and who are dependent on the light of the world and his illuminating spirit to give light to our lives. So let me suggest briefly four questions to ask yourself as we think about what it means to be aware of our spiritual blindness. Four questions to ask yourself. Number one, do you see your need for community? If the disease of spiritual blindness affects us all, then we need other people in order to see ourselves accurately. Right? None of us has an accurate and clear picture of ourselves or of the world around us or of reality, which is why we need other people around us to help us see things that we don't see. In other words, community is not just a nice thing to have. It's not just cool to have some friends or a church where you can show up and worship with other people. Community is essential for spiritual formation and for discipleship to Jesus. Because we carry with us spiritual blindness and we need others to help us see. Do you see your need for community? Second, do you have a posture of humility? Notice the differing postures in this text. The Pharisees are sure from the beginning that they already know everything they need to know. Their posture is one of defensiveness, one of dismissal, one of self-justification. The posture of the blind man, on the other hand, is one thing I know. I was blind, and now I see. His posture is humble. He doesn't claim to know stuff he doesn't know. He doesn't claim to be an expert on every religious question of the day. There's a posture of humility before God and before others. Do you have a posture of humility? 
Here's a third question. Do you welcome the opportunity to repent? If the disease of spiritual blindness affects us all, here's what that means. We shouldn't be shocked by our own sins and weaknesses and failures and limitations and follies. Of course we're going to need to repent. So people who are aware of their spiritual blindness see repentance as an opportunity, as a chance to experience grace, to experience the joy of forgiveness, to move into deeper communion with God and others. They're not shocked by the fact that they need to repent. It's a great opportunity to say, as we said weeks ago, I am not the Christ. People who are aware of their spiritual blindness welcome the opportunity to repent. I'm not surprised by it. Like, oh yeah, I got some things I need to own. Some places I need to ask forgiveness. Some, some places where my limitations come forward. Here's a fourth question. Do you feel a sense of awe and worship toward Jesus? I mean, notice again the man who says, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. People who are aware of their spiritual blindness don't just believe in Jesus creedily, as in the Apostles' Creed. They also feel a sense of awe and joy and gratitude and thankfulness. They know the blindness they've been set free from. There's a sense of existential joy in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for me and for others. These four questions then are a great way to evaluate whether we're aware of our spiritual blindness. Do you see your need for community? Do you have a posture of humility? Do you welcome the opportunity to repent? And do you feel a sense of awe and worship toward Jesus? There's a wrong way to read this story, and it's this. Non-Christians are blind. Christians see. If that's the way you read the story, you're missing the point. That's true. Yes, every human being is walking in the darkness of sin. Every human being needs to come to Jesus, the light of the world, and be set free. If you are not a Christian, you are in fact blind and you are in fact walking in darkness and you need to come to the light of the world and be healed. But to those of you who are Christians, listen to the rest of the New Testament. Listen, for instance, to Romans 13, written to Christians. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So have we believed? Yeah. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Do you hear the language? Likewise, Ephesians chapter 5. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. 1 John chapter 1. 
God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Friends, you don't need the light of the world only on the day of your conversion. You need the light of the world every day of your life. Spiritual blindness is healed progressively. You receive your sight on the day you come to Jesus in faith. But what does Paul say in that famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13? Now we see in a mirror dimly, then we shall know fully. We still do not yet see as we ought to see. And so Scripture calls us to walk in the light as God is in the light through ongoing repentance and faith, seeing and acknowledging our blindness, our darkness, our dullness, and inviting the illuminating presence of the Holy Spirit again and again as we come back to the gospel of grace. So, Let's not be, in our city, the people who say, like the Pharisees, we see what's wrong with the rest of you people. Rather, let's be the church that actually believes the hymns we sing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. I'm just one blind person who's had my sight restored by Jesus, the light of the world. And if you're aware of your blindness, he's able to heal you too. It's the whole reason he came into the world, that those who may not see or those who do not see may see. Out of the raw material of this broken world and our broken lives, Jesus is building a new creation. So let there be light. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. Thank you that you are the light of the world. Thank you for this miracle of healing. And thank you for what this miracle of healing points us to. That you have come into the world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see or think they see may become blind. So let us not be among those people who think they see, who don't think we need your illuminating, enlightening presence, but rather this morning through your word, through the worship of the church, through the work of your spirit in our own souls. Show us the places of blindness, of darkness, of ongoing confusion in our own lives and souls. And help us welcome more deeply and more fully the light of life to shine into the dark places of our lives and to fill us with knowledge, with truth, and with clarity. We pray this for our good and for your glory. Amen.